Hello, and welcome to FIRST Healthcare Compliance Podcast. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare uh, practice of any size, billing company, or a skilled nursing facility. As part of our educational podcast series, we bring you experts to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Our topic today is unauthorized user access. When we use this term, we are referring to people having the capability to see the PHI of a patient under your care. The systems we use, credential and record access to users creating an audit log, which in principle tells us who's logged in and what work was performed as a byproduct of usage as regular and appropriate review of the audit log is meant to tell us if these credentialed users are, in fact, what is intended from a roles and responsibility perspective. But is that always true? Unauthorized access can be external and internal. It can come from outside by some sophisticated hack, or it could be the malicious and trusted end user. So we have asked Ray Ribble um, to join us today to discuss this topic and expand on some of the beliefs and misconceptions surrounded by um, unauthorized user access. Raymond Ribble is the founder of Sphere Incorporated, a healthcare cybersecurity company and co-founder of Fusion Systems Company Limited, an international IT consulting business. Ray currently leads the Sphere organization addressing privacy and security in today's healthcare environment, assisting in the identification of unauthorized access to EPHI and enabling healthcare providers and groups in preventing major breach, breaches. Sphere represents the leading cloud-based user activity monitoring security solution for HIPAA compliance, MIPS compliance, and cybersecurity data loss prevention. The goal is to detect and protect patient health information. Ray participates in a number of PHI privacy groups, speaks at seminars and webinars, and actively contributes to a growing awareness in the need to identify external and internal malfeasance and breach detection. With over 25 years in the systems technology industry, he started his career as a flight controls engineer at Northrop Aerospace to international financial systems consulting and development across Asia for many in the world's top investment banks to the recent creation of artificial intelligence-based solutions for U.S. healthcare markets. Ray's team was prominent in working with over 2,000 providers across Southern California in attesting to meaningful use and addressing the underlying privacy and security concerns those requirements generated. So, Ray, after that illustrious introduction, let me ask you up front, is it safe? Is it safe? Um, well, thank you for having me on board today, and uh, thank you for allowing me to be part of this uh, program. Um, well, is it safe? Us. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's not safe. It hasn't been safe for a while, and unfortunately, it's less safe today than it was yesterday. Um, you know, our, our healthcare community is expanding. Uh, I think it's uh, noted as the number one largest um, entity in the United States. 
and unfortunately, we're probably the least protected uh, in terms of the consumption of technologies that would protect uh, our data, your data, my data, uh, Catherine. So um, I guess in a short, my answer is uh, no, it's not safe. Okay, yikes. Um, well, can you... Um, <laughs> So, so then, what 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 do we do to um, to feel safer or to um, so so with that um, happy happy thought? Then what what can we do? Well, let's see. We've already buried our head in the sand for a while, so that's not going to work anymore. Um, okay. Wishing wishing it wishing it not to be so isn't isn't a, a good thing. So um, I think what we need to do is uh, we need to make sure that as organizations we are conducting our security risk assessments that we're working with organizations like yours, uh, First uh, Healthcare Compliance, to make sure that we've done everything possible uh, to shore up both our policies and procedures uh, as it relates to sensitive data within our organizations, that we need to work with our staff to educate them about what type of security um, issues present them on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's malware or phishing, uh, and then basically that has to be an ongoing continuous uh, program. So whoever that partner is, and again, I'll point to you and your firm as an example for today's discussion, it, I think it's an ongoing, never-ending relationship to make sure that you are on top of that. So I think the, uh, knowing what, what is sensitive data, educating your staff, and then implementing systems and policies and procedures around that is a start to making it safe. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, yes. Right. So um so then can you provide us what your synopsis is of the current PHI landscape or how are we doing? You know, I, I think we've come a long way. I, you mentioned in uh, the introduction about my, my background. Our organization, we were part of the Southern California high-tech program and our responsibility was to work with organizations from small private practice, single doctor private practice to small clinics, FQHCs up to and including hospitals and assisting them in moving from a paperless or partially uh, paperless environment to a fully paperless environment and that means adopting uh, EHRs and going through the meaningful use criteria. Um, as we did that, what we saw was of our 2,000 plus organizations, um, little to none of them had conducted the security risk assessment even though they had tested to it. So that, that was a major concern to us and we put a significant effort into partnering with organizations, again like First, Community, First Healthcare Compliance, to bring that to the attention of our clients and tell them we, you need to do this. Next, um, they needed to start looking at what they could do to um, protect that data. So when I look at the landscape today, and I think back to the high-tech program and those going through meaningful use and the testing, I'm, I was surprised at how many people hadn't done anything or didn't feel that it was uh, important. Three years later, um, unfortunately, I think uh, I saw a report that said that 90% of organizations that had been uh, interviewed in this report believe that monitoring authorized access to PHI was very important, but that 88% of that same group had not done anything to prevent unauthorized access. So I think the landscape is still a bit scary, and it goes back to your opening question, is, is, it, is it safe? It's why I think it's not safe. I think people are more aware of the issues today than they were because they hear so much about breaches, 
but I'm not sure they're really taking the steps necessary to secure their offices, to secure the, the sensitive data, the PHI, the way they could and should be doing it right now. So I, th I think you said that um, uh, many had attested that they had um, they had a security risk assessment, or that um, that they were that they were doing it, or they thought that they were doing it, but right. that they that they hadn't. So where's that? There's there's obviously a gap there between what they think they're doing and they're not doing it. So so what what, yeah. what are the questions? What are the questions that they should be asking themselves? Um, so that they they understand because it seems like there there's a the gap between some education or their knowledge. Um, right. You you asked a question about the landscape. If I let me let me add to that. The landscape is okay. different based on what part of the topology we're looking at. So, if we're speaking about a private practice, um, they are very different from a large clinic, and they are very different from a large enterprise hospital group or hospital. Um, and unfortunately, all three of those, and I just picked three, there's actually more, um, they all have to adhere to the same HIPAA guidelines, the same MIPS uh, requirements, uh, the same cyber uh, in, uh, security insurance guidelines uh, and, you know, bullet points. Uh, they're all required to adhere to the same ones, but they all don't have the same financial ability to do so. Uh, and that creates problems for organizations. Um, you know, the doctors themselves, the providers are out there, and they want to do no harm, and they want to care for their patients. Yet uh, this whole idea of technology uh, being imposed upon them is a problem. Um, so I, I think what's, what's going on today is that in each segment, they're addressing this in different ways. The hospitals have, in my opinion, done an adequate job of putting in systems to on the perimeter to know who's coming in and who's going out. I don't think we can say the same for the uh, all of the clinical organizations, and we surely cannot say the same for private practices. Um, when we were doing the high-tech program, uh, the security risk assessments, the reason people thought that they were doing them is when they signed a contract with their EHR provider. Um, they didn't know the right questions to ask of that EHR provider, and so they knew that there were these milestones that they needed to attest to. So they used that as their guideline for asking questions and evaluating the products. Uh, one, does the product support what I do? If I'm a ped doctor, well, I want to find an application that really aligns itself well with pediatrics. Uh, if I'm geriatrics, well, then again, I want to find a product. So not everybody uses the same application. But I, I'm not learned enough to say, hey, um, you know, it says here I need to be monitoring user activity. Do you do that? Because what the salesperson is telling them is our system is ONC certified. We meet all the criteria for meaningful use. Everything that you need to do in terms of your milestones is covered within our system. I'm not going to ask any more questions after that, uh, Catherine. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it, and I get to check that box, and that's what I needed to do to get through meaningful use. Um, maybe let me pause there and make sure that makes sense, or if you have a follow-on question to that. Right. So um, I'm wondering if, so that so that they understand, do you have some kind of um, illustrative way so that there's some kind of epiphany to them so that they suddenly realize that maybe for some of these mid-level, you know, smaller and mid-level um, area, um, 
facilities that they suddenly realize, oh, I am not covered. You know, like, do you have some way that you, you're suddenly illustrating to them that they, so that they, you know, suddenly realize that they're not, you know, covered. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to insult anybody else's intelligence. Right. And we right, are actually <laughs> yeah, dealing with really intelligent people when we when you think right. about the providers and the administrators that we interact exactly. with day to day, right? But, right. but they're very intelligent with regard to patient care, exactly what we right. want them to know, right? Um, I'd rather have a doctor who knows a lot about how to make me well than right. whether or not uh, Google or Mozilla is the best uh, browser to use. So uh, let's keep everything in perspective here. But the, the epiphany really is my team, um, our consultants, the partners that we work with, such as yourself. I think we go in and we ask the, the basic questions uh, to make sure that they understand what it is their requirements are from a HIPAA perspective, from a, a MIPS perspective, um, such as, okay, so your system is generating an audit log. Yes or no? Yes, it does. Great. How often do you review that audit log um, in order to ensure that that sensitive data that we're speaking to is protected and that your employees or, worst case, somebody from the outside is looking at that data. How would you know? Well, you know, um, I have a team that goes in and periodically looks at that. And, and walk me through the process. Tell me what they do. How, do they, how would they know when you're generating somewhere between five to 25,000 records a day in the audit log, how would they know what to look for and what an anomaly looks like so that they can determine that malfeasance may have taken place? So you, you, you walk them through a process of allowing them to understand that it, it is a complicated pattern, that um, identifying patterns of uh, malfeasance is extremely difficult. And to the human eye, it's more difficult. And then um, you have to take away that uh, subjective versus objective review of the data that you're looking at. Well, I know Ray. Ray's a really good guy. He's been with me for 10 years. So if he did do something that is abnormal, yeah, there must be a good reason for it. So let's move on okay. to the next issue, right? Um, right. <clears throat> but unfortunately, what you don't know is that Ray just uh, declared bankruptcy, hasn't told anybody in the office, and is looking for a way to make some extra money. Right? And selling patient records would be a really quick way for him to start to collect some cash. Isn't that a terrible scenario? Totally. I, I use myself yeah. as the example. <laughs> Ray. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you have to take that um yeah, personal personal um knowledge out of the out of the equation. Like Ray's a really great guy, Ray would never do that. Right. I had a situation um, within the last 12 months with a client where an employee of 12 years, um, they had implemented our solution, uh, my company is Sphere, they implemented our solution and they started to notice some um, discrepancies in the activity pattern during lunchtime for one of the employees. And what the individual was doing was going in and modifying records for cash transactions um, while everybody else was out to lunch. And yeah. they, had only, they had only implemented the system in the last year, uh, mm -hmm. so Sphere, Sphere was able to capture that. But when they went back and did the forensics, they found out that it had been going on for more than four years. Oh, right? my. Yeah. yeah and so, and, and that's a breach. It's a breach for a lot of different reasons, and, you know, it impacts the business. 
Uh, doctor probably thought he was losing money. <laughs> he was, <laughs> but not the way he normally does. Um, right. And and so those are the type of incidences. You know, I hate to to pick on employees. We want to trust the people mm -hmm. we hire. You know, and as you mentioned at the opening, uh, threats are both external in terms of uh, you know phishing or malware type uh, incidents where somebody from the outside is trying to get in, uh, and then they're internal. It's uh, unfortunately it could be an employee, it could be a business associate who you've granted access to to your system, and now that individual has access to sensitive data, and God forbid they do something inappropriate that puts your business, your reputation uh, at risk. What are what are some other common uh, some other common um, internal type of uh, things that uh, might happen? Um, you know, common instances or examples of sure. internal. Um, well, the number the number one we see. Um, so I'll put a little plug in for myself. We have customers across uh, 25 states here in the U.S., and we cover everything from small practices to hospitals. The number one thing that we see across all of our installations is snooping. Are you familiar with uh, that expression and that? Snooping, yes. I would I would assume that would be people um, looking into things that they're not supposed to, um, looking around um, at employees, looking around into uh, records that they're not supposed to be looking into, that they right. would um, have easy okay. access to. Right. We have easy. We we basically we we give our users excessive access privileges to a right. system, and we enable them in such a way so that if um, you know Marianne is out sick, you know that Susie can go in and cover for her. So we want to give them uh, permission so that they can do that, and right. we don't want to generate if somebody is reviewing those logs. We don't want to generate false positives because somebody filled in for somebody else. So, you know, let's give them privileges to cover everybody. The, the girls in the front office are covering the girls in the back office. The guys who are my techs, you know, they can step in if they need to. Um, right. We actually, we create this environment where it's difficult to know who's supposed to be doing what. So in snooping scenarios where this is our number one uh, breach-related activity that we see is coworkers looking at coworkers. Right. Um, there's there's been a number of incidents that have been brought to our attention by our clients where, uh, in the process of a divorce proceeding, uh, somebody uh -huh. is going in and looking at the records of the person involved, and it may not be their divorce, but it could be their friend's divorce, and they're looking at the record of the the counterparty spouse or uh, oh, not yeah. the spouse, right? And getting information, sensitive information that could be used potentially in a in a court proceeding, especially if there's children involved. So um, we see different types of snooping scenarios. The other thing we see a lot of maybe number two on that level is self-examination. So going in and looking at my own record. Uh, and we've not only seen that with employees, but we've actually seen that with the providers as well. And while we might not think that that's um, inappropriate, from a HIPAA perspective, it is a violation. And so um, when we talk about authorized and unauthorized access, both snooping and um, you know, uh, self-examination fit into this area of, of a breach. Okay. Well, that's, those are very, um, very interesting uh, examples are pretty thought-provoking there. Um, so let me ask you another question. Um, what types of uh, dangers are there out in uh, in in place um, that 
puts provider organizations at risk. So we've had these examples, but what other types of um, dangers are um, are there, like external um, ones or other um, things that you can think of, ones that, um, you know, you're the expert, so <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, insider versus uh, external um, things. I, I mentioned earlier uh, phishing and malware, and I think that we want to focus on those. Um, I, to the listeners, I would say uh, ransomware is very important, and we want to do everything right. we can right. to prevent ransomware. Um, you know, I think um, uh, the um, Health and Human Services has said that a ransomware attack is a breach and does have to be reported. So if that does occur to your organization, make sure that you follow the protocols and, and report it appropriately. But let's let's kind of step aside from ransomware, which got all the news in 2016 and 2017, and let's look at some of the other things that should be concerning you, as you said, some of the dangers. Um, again, I think it's uh, malware. I think it's uh, various forms of phishing. So. Um, if I can transition there from that to education. So please, please, please educate your staff on don't click on everything you see. Even if it's an application that you're familiar with, before you click on a link, just remember to take that cursor, pass it over the link, and look at the link and make sure it actually is going to a destination that you're familiar with. And if it's not, don't click on it. Because quite often the, the bad guys, the external hackers that uh, we've been speaking about, are very good at creating an image, an email, that looks exactly like something you use every day. It could be AT&T, Spectrum. It could be some third-party organization that you're dealing with. And the email is innocuous enough that it looks exactly like what you have, but the link actually is going somewhere else. And when you click on it, you're allowing them to install an agent of some type that's going to get into your system and potentially start to exfiltrate patient data, sensitive data that could lead to a major breach. And you may not know about it for, you know, the industry average is 360 days. And think about how much damage that would cause to your business if one year later you found out that you've been breached and all of your data related to your patient activity has been exfiltrated from your office and is being sold on the dark web. Um, so those to me are some of the big dangers that they're obvious, but they're big and phishing is by far the number one thing that we all need to be concerned about. 360 days, can you just say a year there? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, when uh, Health and Human Services put that out, they, they wanted to make sure everybody paid attention to it. If they said one year, uh, it's probably not as meaningful as saying 360. It scares you more. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. Some, somebody, did, somebody did the math there, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, actually, I have a question with that because so um, – so often, uh, you know, companies work with with other companies, and how do you how do you protect yourself when you're working, let's say, with a with the billing company, and how do you know that their employees aren't getting infected, and that then the billing company doesn't infect your company, or that they they don't get um, that they they don't um, accidentally um, have a breach, and then it then it affects you. Um, yep. What yep. Are, what are your thoughts on that? Cause that's well, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I, 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 tell me, tell me yeah, yeah I, it's, it's funny because I think when we think about the healthcare industry, and let's deal with a private practice or a clinic, that right. ecosystem so that they have. have. We have to obviously have like a you know a business associate agreement in place, but beyond that, like then what do we do? Yep. Like so. Yep. 
Well, we have to ask, we need to put together our own checklist that we're asking our B, don't, just signing the BAA isn't enough. Right, right. that's All not going to protect you, that's not actually going to protect you beyond, uh, uh, you know, um, Well, you know what we tell our clients, we tell our clients compliance is not security, right? Right. Um, right. So just because you're compliant, you, you put this piece of paper in front of them, that's not going to protect you from a breach. That's not going to protect right. you from right. malfeasance. It's not going to protect you from unauthorized access. So, I've had a number of organizations when they were vetting us to be consultants or to bring Sphere in, um, they sent us effectively a short form that looked like a security risk assessment. And they said, and then they got on the phone with us and they said, okay, who is your data provider? How are they protecting the data? What are your policies and procedures at Sphere Inc. to ensure that your employees aren't going to have access to my data and do things? They actually went the extra yard and asked the questions of their business associates. They didn't just have us sign the agreement. They mm -hmm. effectively gave us a security risk assessment, a short form, so to speak, and made sure that we were doing things and, and asked the question. They got on the phone with us and actually asked the questions to make sure that we could articulate what we were doing, not just checking the boxes and saying we were doing it. And, right. and I have a lot of respect for those organizations. Does it take an extra hour or two hours to do that? Yes, it does. But that's the difference between a 5000 500000 or $5 million fine uh, from OCR or CMS if you don't do it. And, right. you know, go, right. talk, go talk to the guys at Kohl's or Target uh, about third parties that lead to a major breach in their organizations, right? Right. Right, yeah, like what was it, Home Depot or something? Right, yeah, and, uh, or every, um, every yeah, one exactly. of them was a third-party partner that they right. gave access to that came in and through. They everybody looks for the weakest link. So in uh -huh. the healthcare industry, Catherine, let me ask you this: What's the weakest link? Right. The, um, I, I'm interviewing you. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the weakest um, link. What are you doing? Link, yeah, the weakest, <laughs> weakest link is going to be the private practice, right? They, right. They, they are the most in touch with the patients on a day-to-day mm -hmm. -day basis of our entire system that we're talking about. And um, if I'm a major hospital and I have a network of private practices and clinics that hang off of my systems, I may have Cerner, Epic, or Meditech, and then uh, subsystems that are providing both perimeter and internal uh, detection capabilities but I'm giving access to these clinics and these providers into my system. How do I know what they've done to protect them? They become the weakest link within my ecosystem. And so I'm going to go back to your previous question. What can we do? What are the dangers? Um, and I love the way you asked the question, but think about it. As a patient, when we go into the doctor's office and they take a blood test, where does, the, where does that blood sample go? It goes to a lab. Right. Right. Does our PHI go along with that so that they know who it is that they're looking at? I, I've talked to some labs. They're customers of ours. The answer is, in many cases, yes, it is. So there is a five-to-one ratio of organizations to patient at the private practice level for who touches your PHI. It increases to 50-to-one when you're in a hospital setting. So right. that 50, 50 different organizations who have access to your data outside of the organization that you face-to-face -face are sitting there talking to. Um, that's scary. So, you know, when, when you say who should be protecting themselves and what, that ecosystem just 
magnifies and explodes so fast and everybody within that topology needs to be protecting the data otherwise it leads to back to my, my core point of you know potentially reputational harm because if that third party gets breached who's the patient going to blame they went into the doctor's office right so right. they're going to say right. hey I went in there to get my blood pressure taken and I walked out with my identity stolen right I didn't go to the doctor to get my identity stolen, right? Uh, and, you know, you didn't vet your business partners to make sure that they were safe and that impacted me personally. So I'm going to sue you. That's a terrible scenario, right? Terrible, terrible. Right. So the doctor gets held responsible for the actions or inactions of his partners that he brings into labs, the testing facilities, so on and so forth. Right, right. Well, um, moving on here, I have a question here. Um, it's it sounds like it's it's difficult. Everything <laughs> sounds like there's so many so many um, areas that you know you have to make sure like that you know you have to put your fingers in the wall to make sure that there's not stuff going out everywhere. So manual monitoring would be difficult and costly, but um, um, aren't technologies, you know, very expensive for the average practice to consume? Like, I know we have practices of all different sizes and everything, but if we're talking about, let's say, maybe like an average size practice, not like a hospital or something like that, you know? Still something in that uh, 2 to 10 or 10 to 50 uh, provider range, and of course the single provider. There are. There, there's, a, there's a myriad of solutions. Obviously, I, I built one with, with our product, Sphere Inc., but there are a myriad of solutions. I, I'll take a step back before I answer that. Um, I saw the, um, the executive vice president of Microsoft uh, speak uh, about a year and a half ago uh, on a, a webinar like this, um, and she talked about the perimeter you know, we, we put up our firewalls and we do encryption and we're doing all these things to try to keep people out. Um, and she said, let's, let's face it, the perimeters have been breached. They're already inside. They, they keep coming up with more innovative ways to get in than we can keep them out. So we've moved from a uh, position of protecting to detecting. So um, we have to assume that somehow, some way, they're going to get inside of our system. So we need to know that they're inside the system. We need to detect uh, that. And I'm getting to your, your question then. Um, so what type of technologies are affordable that can be deployed easily uh, that don't impact my productivity and allow me to continue to do what I want to do, which is practice medicine and provide care to my patients? Um, for me, personally, that, that philosophy is very important. When we built our product, for instance, I wanted to make sure that there was no footprint uh, for the clients whatsoever, no hardware they needed to install. So everybody should be looking at cloud-based technologies, in my opinion, uh, cloud-based technologies that are easy to interact with, interface with, and obviously need to be cost-effective vis-a-vis um, your pain points in terms of your budgets. But I would say make sure you have a budget. You're going to have to start budgeting security, and security is not limited to the firewall and encryption and passwords. Um, again, we're beyond that now. Uh, one way or another, they're going to get inside your system, and God forbid you don't know they're in there. That's the worst-case scenario. So um, you'll find that a lot of the sophisticated systems um, are subscription-based, 
Um, I think they're aligned well with the size of organizations. So obviously, you find that two to ten or ten to fifty provider organization, you know, I'm not going to spend a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars for uh, the type, type of system that Cerner or an Epic Hospital might use to provide this both protection and detection capabilities. Um, so you're going to look at a product like a Sphere or some of, something of that caliber that can allow you to have the same level of sophistication in terms of the technologies, but at a uh, affordable price point that you can consume it and it doesn't put a dent in your overall activities and how you spend money from an operational perspective. I don't know if I'm answering that question well, but I'm trying to not make this a plug for me, no, 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 but no, answer no, your no. question, right? Right. Uh, and I think I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I think it starts with education, though. I will tell you that, and that's free. You know, if you if you have that individual in your office that you've designated as your privacy and security officer, you know, I, I would say give that individual everybody a little needs. bit of. That's yes, one of the everybody. Things, that's one of the things that's designated that everybody needs. Right. It, it should be there, and that person should know that they have the job and. Right. Get them educated. Allow them to become educated on what it is they need to do to protect the office, to protect the patients, um, to protect the business. And, right. and encourage them to become proficient in that. And then allow them the opportunity at a lunch and maybe even get one of your vendors to sponsor the lunch where the focus of that lunch is on things we can do to protect our patients' data. Right? And that's something that you could do on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. It shouldn't be an annual basis. That's not often enough. Um, but some proactive interaction between that privacy and security officer, uh, it could be you guys. It could be first healthcare compliance coming in and, and doing a on-site webinar or, excuse me, seminar for that organization and just educating them on policies and procedures and how to handle things. Make sure you know where those policies and procedures are so that if you do get audited, everybody knows where to go and what to do. Um, it starts there. It starts with education. It starts with trust. Um, and then I think you move into the technologies and the products like, like Sphere Inc. that you can deploy that would allow you to basically know what's going on from a behavioral uh, perspective in terms of tracking the patterns of all the users and making sure that what they're doing is consistent with the roles and responsibilities you've given them. And then maybe we can go back to my earlier point, and maybe we don't have to give those excessive privileges to everybody. We can tighten it up a little bit so that we know what they're doing is appropriate for the roles that they have. Right, right, right. Well, very good. Um, I think we probably should should go ahead and, and wrap up a little bit, but uh, and give our listeners time to move on with their move on with our days and, and things like that. But I wanted to um, let our listeners know about um, uh, some things that we we both have. Um, we're both social companies and, and we have all kinds of other fun things and uh, interactions. Um, um, but before we do that, um, do you have um, in a nutshell what you would um, say kind of a, um, a nutshell about um, what Sphere um, is able to to offer for our our listeners um, in sure. their in their offices. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, Sphere SphereInc.com. Um, we're in the business of protecting patient data. That's what we do. Uh, and the way that we do that is we use uh, artificial intelligence to track all of your credentialed users within your system, and we provide you with a very simple interface via the web, via the cloud, 
that allows you to go in and examine any anomalies that occur in the course of a normal day's activities and determine whether or not any unauthorized access has occurred. And if so, we give you all the tools you need necessary to potentially even declare a breach. So um, our tool takes you all the way through that process. It's very simple to use. Our typical end users spend no more than 15 minutes a day uh, using Sphere, if at all. Some instances with smaller organizations, they actually only interfa interface with our product a couple times a week because they're not generating a lot of uh, activity. So that's enough on us. Um, and, but thank you for that opportunity. Okay, well, thank you so much. And so I wanted to um, let our listeners know about um, uh, if you wanted to learn more about um, Ray and uh, Sphere Inc., uh, you can, and also about First Healthcare Compliance, uh, you can find um, both of our companies on uh, LinkedIn um, and uh, Facebook also. Um, you can also find um, uh, us on Twitter. You can find um, Sphere on um, Sphere Inc. and Sphere is um, S P H E R, and that's all capital, and then Inc. I N C period. So S P H E R is all capital I N C period. So that's lowercase there um, is on the Twitter. That's the Twitter handle, um, and LinkedIn is S P H E R capital and then the capital I, and then lowercase n, c, period. Um, you can find that easily. Um, you could also go to um, their website, uh, Sphere Inc. Uh, is that SphereInc.com, Ray? It is. It is, yeah. Okay. yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And, Thank you for and that. Our, sure. And our website is firsthcc.com. So that's 1sthcc.com. Uh, and if you, if anyone wanted to register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution, you can find that on our website, which is firsthcc.com, or call us at 888-543-4778. And uh, so you can also um, look up Ray and his company um, on his website as well. And Ray, thank you so much. For, for joining us today. I really appreciate your, your time and uh, it was really, really super informative on a, a really very, very important subject and uh, um, I'm sure we'll have a, a great time um, uh, uh, joining us for another podcast in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time today and uh, good luck to everybody out there. Okay. Thank you so much and uh, good, luck to, good luck to you and good luck to our listeners and uh, thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.